It was known as the Queen of the Lakefront, a resort hotel unlike any other, offering guests luxury and entertainment by some of the day's biggest stars. Sadly, for all its splendor, its time in Chicago was cut far too short. Today we're talking about the Edgewater Beach Hotel. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. Part of the fun of doing these episodes is reading about people in Chicago's history who, when kept from doing something they wanted to do, pivot and take on a new endeavor. This was the case with John T. Connery, whose attempt to buy the Chicago Cubs in the 1910s did not come to fruition. His next goal? Partner with John J. Corbett to build a world-class hotel unlike Chicago had ever seen in Edgewater? For those of you not familiar with the area called Edgewater, this planned hotel would be about eight miles north of downtown Chicago. Not super close today, and certainly not super close in the late 1910s. Connery and Corbett, both sons of Irish immigrants, enticed architects Benjamin Marshall and Charles Fox into joining them for the development of what would become this new 400-room hotel, making them part owners. Before joining forces with Charles Fox in 1905, Benjamin Marshall had worked for a firm called Marble and Wilson in Chicago in the late 1890s, before becoming a partner in the firm when Marble died. In 1902, Marshall struck out on his own. One of his first commissions after starting his own firm, the Iroquois Theater Building, which was destroyed a month after opening in one of Chicago's deadliest fires. While Benjamin Marshall had little formal training, he had a keen eye for design and with MIT-trained architect Charles Fox, who had also worked for famed Chicago architecture firm Holabird and Roche at his side, the Edgewater Beach Hotel was sure to impress. When the hotel was announced in the October 17, 1915 Chicago Tribune, the writer claimed, quote, The Edgewater Beach Hotel will be a sort of seaside annex to the Blackstone, with which it will be closely related. Not only will a motor bus line run between the two, but there will also be a sort of marine garage where guests can keep motorboats and a boat line will run to the city. The hotel will be nine stories high, in the form of a Greek cross, without an inside court and without any inside room. Every apartment will overlook the lake or Sheridan Road or one of the private parks. A noteworthy feature will be the Marine Cafe on the east front overlooking the lake and within 10 yards of the water. It will be Chicago's first public cafe overlooking the water. Other features will be the sleeping porches and roof garden. End quote. The Blackstone Hotel, I should note, was also designed by Marshall and Fox, making the connection to the Edgewater even more understandable. Marshall and Fox would go on to design the Drake Hotel, the South Shore Country Club, now the South Shore Cultural Center, the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota, the Kaskaskia Hotel in LaSalle County, Illinois, and the Mays Lake Peabody Estate in suburban Oak Brook, Illinois. 
I included that last one for my pal Todd, just to see if he's paying attention. On June 7, 1916, less than a year later, which quite frankly is bonkers to me, the Edgewater Beach Hotel welcomed its first guests, delegates to the Republican National Convention, which was being held at the Chicago Coliseum at 15th and Wabash. Although the Republican nominee did not unseat incumbent President Woodrow Wilson, the Edgewater Beach Hotel was off and running. John Corbett's nephew, William Dewey, was brought on as general manager. Dewey was a stickler for details, demanding only the best from his employees and expected his guests to follow the hotel's rules regarding dress codes and behavior. Women were not allowed to smoke or wear pants and could not sit at the bar at the Edgewater. Different times. For a place called a beach hotel, there really wasn't much of a beach, not at first at least. There was a large seawall installed that protected the hotel that made up a 1,000-foot beach walk and a small bit of sand between the seawall and the lake. Fortunately, over time, the natural actions of the lake and sand and due to improvements just south of the hotel created a larger beach for guests to enjoy. More about the hotel, one of the most elegant and impressive rooms at the Edgewater was the Marine Dining Room, which had a 1,750-square-foot main floor for dining and dancing and a retractable ceiling. To enter, guests would walk down a grand staircase to be seen by all. Designed with windows that opened out to the lake, dining guests could enjoy a fabulous meal while also enjoying cool breezes off of the lake. Top jazz orchestras of the day appeared at the Edgewater, including Tommy Dorsey, Wayne King, and Xavier Cugat. A young Lawrence Welk performed some of his earliest Chicago shows there. Ted Fiorito was a regular band leader at the hotel during the 1920s, and his orchestra even included a 13-year-old musical prodigy from Chicago's West Side Jewish community who would go on to be known as the King of Swing, Benny Goodman. Fiorito wrote and recorded more than 100 songs for major record labels while at the hotel, including his most famous song, Toot Toot Tootsie Goodbye. Later performers included Tony Bennett, Jimmy Dorsey, Frankie Avalon, and Sarah Vaughn. Another well-known destination at the hotel was the Yacht Club, a nautically-themed tavern at which to enter... Guests would walk down a gangplank. There were portholes that looked out onto Lake Michigan, and canvas walls painted with a sea theme would move back and forth, simulating the view from a moving boat. There was a nine-hole putting golf course, a children's play area, a garden walk, and tennis courts that were turned into an ice rink during the winter. The Edgewater became the place for dancing, dining, luncheons, proms, weddings, honeymoons and more. In addition to the distinctive green motor coach that would take guests downtown to Marshall Fields, 
There was also a water taxi and a seaplane that would whisk people to their destination even faster. Unfortunately, original owner John J. Corbett didn't get to see his hotel reach its full potential. In June of 1919, just three years after the hotel's opening, Corbett died while undergoing an operation to remove gallstones at Mercy Hospital. He was 55. After Corbett's death, John Connery took over the role as president of the hotel and would remain in that position until his death in 1937. The Edgewater Hotel's first few years were so successful, it was decided an expansion should be built. In March of 1923, construction began on a 3,019-story, 600-room addition to be built where the original hotel's gardens were. The new tower building, referred to as the Annex, opened for guests on February 9, 1924. The addition was connected to the main building by a large walkway known as the Passaggio. You vocal enthusiasts may know Passaggio as a term used in classical singing to describe the transition area between the vocal registers. The Annex also included a 200-car garage, something relatively new for hotels in Chicago, when you consider that many late 19th century and early 20th century hotels in the city were not built with garages as not many people had cars. The annex also included a variety of shops, not only for items to purchase, but for guest services such as hair salons and print shops. In 1928, on the far north side of the hotel property, the Edgewater Beach Apartments opened as an upscale alternative to huge mansions for Chicago's wealthy elite. Because of its reputation as a resort, many celebrities would stay at the Edgewater over the years, including Charlie Chaplin, Cary Grant, Frank Sinatra, Marilyn Monroe, Betty Davis, and Bob Hope. As the hotel was only three miles to Wrigley Field, many baseball players would stay at the Edgewater as well. New York Yankees baseball player Babe Ruth reportedly stayed at the Edgewater on September 30th, 1932, the night before hitting his infamous called shot home run at Wrigley Field during the World Series. Legend has it there were Cubs fans waiting outside the hotel when Ruth and his wife arrived. One of them tried to spit at Babe, not Chicago, but it missed and instead hit Babe's wife. Whether this incident was the impetus for the call shot, the Yankees swept the Cubs in four games. Hotel manager William Dewey helped popularize jazz and big band music in the 1920s, first with a radio broadcast within the hotel, and then broadcast beaming live performances from the hotel to the outside world. The company that would become Zenith Electronics started on the grounds of the Edgewater Hotel when two friends, Ralph H.G. Matthews and Carl Hassel, began developing parts and equipment for radios and broadcasting. And because it seems like it has been a while since I mentioned a bombing in one of these episodes, it was on August 4th, 1934, that a bomb made of dynamite went off in the doorway of a small print shop at the Edgewater Hotel. 
Three people were injured, including two union electric workers who had been picketing against the hotel. Those picketers, plus a former Al Capone associate, were brought in for questioning, but because Chicago, no one was ever charged and the case was never solved. Members of the Chicago Waiters Union at the hotel also staged a walkout in sympathy with the six striking electrical workers and created one of the longest-lasting picket lines in the history of American labor. The walkout lasted five years, nine months, and four days, finally ending on January 25, 1940. The Great Depression of the 1930s and the resulting dip in guest bookings at the Edgewater took their toll, so management made the decision to convert seven floors of the hotel's rooms to permanent residences in 1938. These new rooms were called the Dewey Apartments, named after longtime hotel manager William Dewey. As Chicagoans began moving further and further from the area near downtown, roads such as Lakeshore Drive, now DuSable Lakeshore Drive, became congested. At that time, Lakeshore Drive ended on the north at Foster Avenue, just south of the Edgewater Hotel. In 1947, the city approved an extension to Lakeshore Drive all the way to Hollywood Avenue, slightly more than one half mile north of Foster, but more crucially, to the other side. Of the Edgewater property. Fun fact this was the same year Martin Canelli, a resident of the Edgewater Beach apartments, became mayor of Chicago. The city's use of landfill to create the area needed for the Lakeshore Drive extension meant the beach would no longer be a short walk from the front door of the Edgewater. It would now require a much greater effort to get to the beach, including following a pedestrian footpath and going through a tunnel under the new Lakeshore Drive extension. This meant one of the most appealing aspects of the Edgewater would soon be gone. With the impending loss of convenient beach access for guests, the hotel's management decided to install an Olympic-sized swimming pool, the largest in the city, just to the north of the hotel where the golf course once was. This new pool, in addition to giving guests easier access to cool off, allowed more summer events to take place outside, including swim meets and fashion shows. One year later, the hotel added two stories worth of private cabanas around the pool. In 1949, the Edgewater Beach Apartments broke away from the hotel, becoming an independent co-op, which it remains as of this writing. One notable story involving the hotel and a visiting baseball player happened on June 14, 1949, when Massachusetts-born Philadelphia Phillies first baseman Eddie Waitkiss was shot and nearly killed by 19-year-old Chicagoan Ruth Ann Steinhagen, an obsessive fan in room 1297A at the hotel. Steinhagen first began following Waitkiss when he played for the Chicago Cubs. Waitkiss later recovered and played in the major leagues for another six years. This incident is believed to be the inspiration for Bernard Malamud's 1952 novel The Natural and the 1984 film of the same name starring Robert Redford. 
The Lakeshore Drive extension north to Bryn Mawr at 5600 North was opened in 1956, and by 1957, the extension to Hollywood Avenue was completed. This entire process used 55 acres of landfill to create the area used by the roadway and the surrounding parks. Between 1955 and 1962, the Edgewater Beach Hotel was the home of the Edgewater Beach Playhouse, featuring live theater during the summer with actors and entertainers of the day, there's finger quotes there, including Ava Gabor, Burgess Meredith, Melvin Douglas, Groucho Marx, Rita Moreno, Ozzie and Harriet, and Jackie Mason. If you have listened to the podcast, you know that the 1950s changed the leisure and travel landscape considerably. Many Chicagoans had automobiles, so road trips to vacation spots outside the city limits became easier. Air travel was also popular, and for those not going anywhere, homes now had air conditioning and TVs, which kept many at home instead of spending money at places like the Edgewater. In 1960, in order to compete with popular downtown hotels and Woo Chicago's convention business, the Edgewater underwent a $900,000 renovation, that's nearly $8.8 million in today's money, which included the installation of air conditioning in restaurants and public spaces, and approximately 30% of the rooms at the Edgewater. Within a year, that number rose to nearly 70%. Unfortunately, those efforts did not pay off as that business had shifted closer to downtown at venues like the McCormick Place Convention Center. In 1962, the hotel was sold again. By this time, entire floors of the hotel had been closed off to save on maintenance costs and also because there just weren't enough guests to make those rooms necessary. To the hotel's credit, it wasn't just about swim events, beauty pageants, and summer theater featuring slightly past their prime entertainers. In January of 1963, the Edgewater Hotel was the site of the four-day National Conference on Religion and Race, sponsored by Protestant, Jewish, and Catholic leaders from around the country. It was at this event that civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his speech, A Challenge to Justice and Love, to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. King called the conference, quote, the most significant and historic ever held for attacking racial injustice, end quote. The Edgewater Beach Hotel, which hadn't really been that close to the beach in quite some time, limped along until December 21st, 1967, when it abruptly closed. Management had filed a petition of bankruptcy two days prior, claiming mortgages of $6 million, nearly $52 million in today's money. It would later be revealed it cost $1,700 per day just to operate the hotel, that's just under $15,000 in today's money, but the hotel was only bringing in $6,000 per day. One writer covering the story of the closing called the Edgewater, quote, a faded dowager crowded out of competition by expressways, motels, and at-home entertainment, end quote. 
When the closing announcement was made, there were approximately 100 permanent residents living at the hotel, some of whom had lived there for 30 years or more. These residents were given two hours to gather their belongings and vacate the hotel. While a hotel spokesman claimed they were helping the residents find other accommodations, when asked whether the 300 employees would be paid, this being days before Christmas and all, his response was, quote, I cannot answer that question, end quote. For those of you U.S. listeners in the South, I should mention, the architecture firm of Marshall and Fox also built a sister hotel in Biloxi, Mississippi, called the Edgewater Gulf Hotel, which opened in 1927 with a dedication ceremony that included Chicago Mayor William Deaver. That hotel closed in 1971 after less than 45 years in existence for the expansion of the Edgewater Mall. For a brief time, the Edgewater was used as dorms for the nearby Loyola University, but the clock was ticking faster with each passing day. And by 1970, the wrecking ball began to swing. So well-constructed was the steel frame Edgewater that a job that officials estimated would only take six months to complete took 13 months. By April of 1971, the Edgewater Beach Hotel was no more. Three high-rise buildings stand on the area where the Edgewater and its surrounding grounds once entertained thousands and, over the course of its time, millions. The Edgewater Beach Apartments at 5555 North Sheridan Road, recognizable by their pink color, were added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1994. In 2016, an exhibit commemorating the 100th anniversary of the opening of the Edgewater Beach Hotel debuted at the Edgewater Historical Society, not far from where the hotel once stood, which sparked Society members Catherine Gemperl and John Holden to begin work on the book Remembering the Edgewater Hotel, released in 2021 to coincide with the 50th anniversary of the completion of the demolition of the hotel. It is a fascinating look at the Edgewater Beach Hotel, one of the most impressive forgotten hotels in the history of the greatest city in the world. for listening to today's episode about the Edgewater Beach Hotel. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. As always, if you have questions about anything covered today, anything to add, or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I have links to a number of books and other items related to this subject and other parts of Chicago's amazing history if you or someone you know is a history nerd like me who would like to learn more. Anything ordered through those links, not just the items listed, may earn a small commission for the podcast and help offset production costs at no additional cost to you. Check out the Chicago History Podcast Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for articles and pictures related to this episode and past episodes posted throughout the week. 
The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on the social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, John! He can be found at Angel Eyes Art JKS on Instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.